Well, friends, if you would, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And at this time, I'm going to dismiss the kids out this side door with Miss Joy for Jumpstart. You guys will be back by the end of the service. If you would, grab your Bibles, open up to the book of Joshua. If you're just joining us, we are going through a series right now called Whole, where we are going through the whole Old Testament, one book a week, through all 39 books of the Old Testament. And uh, it is pretty daunting and pretty exciting. But, you know, a friend of mine changed my life one time because he said, you know, if somebody asked you to bake a dozen cookies and you can only, like, bake six because you'll burn the other six, shouldn't your friend just say, can you bake me six cookies? And he said, no, what you should do is you should attempt to bake 96 cookies, of which, like, 48 will not be burned, and you'll have four times as many cookies. So if you want to understand the Bible... Let's try to bake 96 cookies, and you'll have more than you think, right? When we go through the whole Old Testament, you're not going to go everything, but you're going to know a whole lot more than you thought before. Does that make sense? Don't worry. I won't charge you for that. That was just a tidbit. <laughs> We're in Joshua this morning. We're going to look at two passages, but one's really long, uh, so I'm going to summarize the second one. But I want us to go to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to look at the shorter one. Hopefully this will, this will work, but I don't know how I can do justice to an entire book. Like Joshua in one Sunday, but I'm going to try. But if you go to Joshua chapter 5, we're going to read just three short verses, 13 through 15. Uh, but this isn't our only passage this morning. Uh, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, if you're there, if you can look up on the screen, it says these words. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... A man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray together. Father, would we learn everything that your spirit has for us to learn today? Uh, Father, would your Holy Spirit be here even now through the preaching of your word. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm feeling like it's time for a in-house discussion, okay? Has anyone ever had like those conversations with your family where you like know none of the friends are invited, none of the kids' friends are there? It's like we're going to have a talk as a family. Anyone ever have like those kind of talks? It's not necessarily that, you know, the people are doing something wrong or the kids are in trouble, but more like we are going to talk about how we are going to operate as a family. And when I get to the book of Joshua, I can't help but think that there is a need for us to have sort of an in-house conversation, how we as Christ followers are going to live in the days that we are called to live in. You know, you, if, you're, if you've been here for a while, you'll know that I've suggested to you for months that we are elect exiles. We are the beloved people of God, but this is not our home. And so our call is to live like Jesus through these days until we die or he come again. right? And that's a very much an in-house discussion. 
Uh, but as things start to open back up and you are starting to see people and you're starting to have some of those awkward conversations or maybe you haven't seen somebody in a while and things are especially tense right now in our country where everything is really polarized, right? You know, that tension that we all sort of live in every day. I think it's worthwhile for you and me as, I, as, as best as we can, as Christ followers, as people seeking to follow Jesus, for us just to pause and to learn some things from God's word this morning about how you and I can have an in-house, in-family discussion. And I, I guess the idea that I'm, I'm driving at is I think it is especially important for us today, today, <laughs> I don't mean like today in the world, I mean like literally today on Palm Sunday, for you and I as Christians to maybe have a discussion together about how we determine who is our friend and who is our foe. Because I think if you, if you take a step back and you think about your life or our, our sort of cultural moment, I feel like the issue right now is we are all trying to decide who is our friend and who is our foe. Who did you vote for? Who didn't you? What's your take on masks? What's your take on vaccines? What do you think about Black Lives Matter? What do you think about this? I just am asking all of these things because really what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out what? Who is a friend to, my, to me and who is my foe? And it's very hard because there is definite right and wrong in this world. I'm not a, a moral relativist. I am a follower of Jesus, which means that I believe sin is sin. I think God defines what sin is by his inerrant word. And I think the only hope for me and the only hope for you and the only hope for our country is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the hope. But what you and I are prone to doing, because let's be honest, we live in the world and maybe once a week we come together as God's people and like, we're like, oh yeah, Christianity, right? The gospel, right? When we live sort of uh, Monday through Saturday imbibing the things of this world, what the world wants to do is it wants to tell us who the friend is from the foe. And we can, we can sort of live in that worldview ourselves and we can actually make a mistake, and we can actually find ourselves saying our foes are our friends and our friends are our foes. How do we know where the line is? We all want to draw it. We all feel people are drawing it around us sometimes. But how do we do it? Well, these are tough questions. But thankfully, God has not left us on our own to sort of figure out our cultural moment. Uh, part and parcel with believing that God's word is inerrant which means that there's no mistakes in it. What God said, he meant. When God talked, he didn't mumble. What God said, he said it clearly. Part of believing in that means that God speaks to every culture throughout time forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God ceased to be applicable about 1,800 years ago. Is that what we believe about God's word? It speaks to today. And what we need is we need it to speak to today, and we need ears to hear it. Um, so I don't know if you're having a hard time figuring out friend from foe, uh, but I feel that in myself. So I'm preaching this sermon as much as to myself as I am to anybody. So with that in mind, anybody here uh, willing to say amen? It's hard to know who the friend and the foe is. Well, let's look at Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to look at two passages. I read one. We're just going to summarize the other. And I don't know if this is going to work. Like I said... Like I said, I'm preaching a sermon on an entire book of the Bible. It's probably a stupid idea. But, you know, we're gonna, you know like sometimes when you go to the, the Chick-fil-A and you get an extra nugget? 
Anyone ever, like you count the eight and you got a ninth nugget, you know? Like today you're getting one passage plus an extra nugget. So hopefully that makes you excited. Joshua 5, you know, if you look down at the book of Joshua, you know, you'll know that Joshua is the replacement of Moses. His calling in life is to lead the people into the promised land. God has gone to um, uh, extreme lengths to give all of these people, uh, all these people groups in Canaan, opportunities to repent. He says as early as the book of Genesis that he has given them 400 years to repent. 400 years to repent. And because they don't repent, God's going to send in Joshua and the Israelites, um, not just to perpetuate human warfare, but to remove them as the judgment of God. Uh, This is not just perpetuating human warfare. Uh, The purpose of the book of Joshua and the conquest of the land is to demonstrate God's justice on wicked nations, and he's going to use the people of Israel to accomplish that, right? And so when you get into Joshua chapter 5, what we see is Joshua is looking out at Jericho, this wicked city with these huge walls, right? And he's trying to figure out how this is actually going to happen, right? So if you look at verse 13, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, not only does he look at Jericho, he looks and he sees what? A man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And that phrase right there, went to him, doesn't just mean he's like, Hey, hey you, over there. What it means is Joshua went up to him because he is the warrior. He is the leader of the army. He's Joshua. And he walks up to this guy with a sword in his hand, right? And what does Joshua think? He says, you know, I'm a warrior myself. He walks up to him. He says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Maybe put it this way. Are you a friend or are you a foe? Are you a friend or are you a foe? Right? That's what Joshua is trying to figure out. He knows there are friends and he knows there are foes. He's trying to draw the line and figure out where this guy stands. And make no mistake, this is a guy. This is a man. Right there in verse 13 it says, a man. In Hebrew it's ish, which means a man. But not just a man, as we'll find out. So Joshua walks up to this man. He says, basically, are you a friend or are you a foe? (laughs) And how does this man respond in verse 14? Don't you love how blunt it is? (laughs) He says, I reject your categories. No. Mm -mm. That is the wrong question. He says, but I am the commander of Yahweh's armies. Now, I have come. Now, who in the world is this man? Who is the commander of the armies of angels? Who is Yahweh's army's commander? Well, we find out what does Joshua do next? Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now, of course, we may be tempted. Angels are really cool right now. Have you noticed? Angels are cool. Like People like talking about angels and demons and stuff and Hallmark cards and movies and the paranormal and cryptids and the unseen realm. All that stuff is very cool right now. And we may be tempted to think right there in verse 14 that maybe what we're seeing is an angel. Right? That's a, that's a, that's a common answer. That we're, just, we're basically just seeing an angel. But there's a problem in the text. In fact, there's a couple of problems with just seeing that God has sent just an angel, just a messenger. The the problem right there is if you look in verse 14, 
Joshua falls on the earth, and he does what before the angel or this man? What does he do? He worships. Can angels accept worship? Do angels ever accept worship? No. If you read Revelation, the angels uh, will tell John, don't worship us. Worship God. Don't, why, why are you worshiping me? Stop doing that. This is similar to when the apostles start performing miracles in the book of Acts. People start falling down and they start saying, oh, here comes Zeus now. Here comes Hermes. And the apostles say, stop worshiping me. I'm just a man. Worship the Lord alone. And yet here we have a man, apparently, a man in Ish, who says he's the commander of the Lord's army, and Joshua falls down and worships him. Pretty interesting, huh? And then if that's not lost on you, Joshua stops asking the wrong question, are you for me or are you for my enemies? And he says, what do you want me to do? <laughs> what does the Lord say to his servant? I am your servant. I am reporting for duty. And then what does this commander of the Lord's army say next? Look at verse 15. He says what? Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay, what does that hearken you back to? Can you think of any other times in the Bible where some guy meets with the angel of the Lord, who also seems to be God, and God tells him to take his sandals off because the ground on which he is standing is holy. What does that remind you of? Moses. When Moses sees the burning bush, it says the angel of the Lord was in the flame of the fire. Interesting, right? So does Moses see God or does he see some messenger on behalf of God? Does Joshua see God or does Joshua see the commander of the Lord's army? Let me ask it a different way. In, in Genesis 18, in Genesis 18, there's a guy named Abraham. And if you go to Genesis 18, it uses the exact words that we have from this passage. It says, this is uh, Genesis 18, uh, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door on his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, the Lord had come to him. And yet in Genesis 18, he's described as a man with two attendant angels. When Moses sees the burning bush, it says the angel of the Lord is in the fire. And yet Moses speaks with the Lord. And in Genesis 32, we know that Jacob wrestles an angel, right? But of course, when he's done wrestling with him, uh, Jacob names the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen the face of God. I have seen God face to face, and I have survived. If you keep going in the Old Testament, you'll know in the book of Judges that we see in the life of Gideon, one of the judges, Gideon is approached by a man. And if you read Judges chapter 6, you'll know that sometimes the passage describes him as the Lord, Yahweh, and other times it calls him the angel of the Lord. And in Judges 13, Samson's parents, Manoah, his father, has a conversation with a guy who's called the Lord and also the angel of the Lord. So what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on in all of these stories? Well, as a Christian, this should all be sounding somewhat familiar, that God is still God, and yet a man, a human, can also somehow be God, yet somehow distinct from God, yet still God, and still speak on behalf of God. You see, this is a, a, a beginning of the understanding of the Trinity. 
that there's God the Father who is God, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And there's only one God, and yet somehow they have different persons. Uh, So um, every commentator just about that you could read says that what's happening in this story is God the Son, Jesus Christ, is appearing in the Old Testament before the incarnation. This is the pre-incarnate Son of God. It's not an angel because this man accepts the worship of Joshua, and it's not just an angel because the angel says, you're standing on holy ground right now. So what in the world do we do with that? Well, the first thing I want to suggest to you is that this idea that God became a human, an ish, that God could become a human, that he could live a sinless life, that he would one day proclaim something called the kingdom of God, which would surpass all of the kingdoms of man, when he would make all of the sad things come untrue, when he would do away with the curse of sin, when he would redeem this world and restore it to what it was always meant to be. And he was going to do it by proclaiming the kingdom and by taking the wrath of God upon himself, the punishment that we deserve on the cross. And by coming back from the dead three days later, what was happening is God had become a man and had redeemed this world himself at the price of his own blood. And that message of the gospel is being hinted at and pointed towards all throughout the Old Testament. Multiple times in the Old Testament, God appears to his people as a man, yet also this messenger of the Lord. And what is going on? Well, ultimately, as Paul would say, in the gospel, we see the mystery of the ages finally revealed. (laughs) This is Christ come to talk to his people. So what are we supposed to do with that then? that this is the pre-incarnate Christ talking to Joshua. Why am I bringing this up? Because Joshua approaches him, and he basically asks the question I think many of us, including myself, are asking right now. Are you a friend or are you a foe? And how does Jesus respond? How does the commander of the Lord's army respond? No. (laughs) You are asking the wrong question. You see, the the question is not whether Jesus is my friend or my foe. The question is, right, am I Jesus' friend or am I Jesus' foe? And Jesus asks us, are you my friend or are you my foe? Joshua is the ruler, right? He's, He's the guy in charge of the people of Israel, and he recognizes on his knees, bowing before the Lord, that he is not in charge. He does not dictate what God does. Instead, he falls down at the feet of the commander of God's army and says, I am your servant. So when you start this process of trying to decide if someone is a friend or foe, what I would suggest to you is to ask yourself, if you were Joshua, are you, would you fall at Jesus' feet? Would you fall at the commander of the Lord's army's feet and say, I, I am with you? <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to be with me. I want to be with you, right? <laughs> I want to be on your side. I want to be your friend. I serve you. So when you start to ask yourself, you know, who, who is my friend and who, who is my foe, um, what I would suggest to you is we all know that there is definite right and definite wrong in this world. There are things that are definitely right and there are things that are definitely wrong. 
So when we try to demarcate who is a friend and who is a foe, the very first step, as this is an in-house discussion right now, right, as Christians, the very first step is to ask ourselves, and for me to ask myself, am I bowing at the feet of Jesus Christ with no prior commitments, no prior commitments, no things I'm holding on to, except I bow at the feet of Jesus and what he says goes. Jesus, what do you say to me? Because I am your servant. (laughs) I want to be like Thomas, looking at the resurrected Lord Jesus and proclaiming my Lord and my God. (laughs) Whatever you say goes. Are you there yet? Uh, Friends, this is something to be reminded of constantly. When we try to figure out who's right and wrong, the first step is to look at ourselves and say, am I like Joshua? Am I bowing at the commander of the Lord's armies? All right, so that's that's the first step, right? I would suggest to you, do you know where you stand with Jesus? And if you do, are you obeying him? Are you obeying him, right? That's how how this works. He's the Lord, we are servants. We do our Lord's bidding. So let's go over to the second section. Remember, this is a two-parter. Here comes the second nugget. If you're with me, right, if you say, yes, I want to be on Jesus' side, I am not so much worried about Jesus being on my side. I am more concerned about being right with him. He is in charge, not me. Um, He is the tuning fork that I set my life to, not vice versa. Uh, There's a fascinating story in Joshua that I don't know if this is going to make any sense to you, but I hope it does. And I hope you start to see how this could maybe speak to our time in helping us determine friend from foe. And my first step is, are you, a, are you on the Lord's side? Are you on Jesus' side? Right? That's step one. Step two is, how are God's people going to treat each other? Because if we are living in a world where there are clearly foes and there are clearly enemies, but sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to reopen? How are we supposed to see each other when we have different convictions and opinions right now? Well, go to Joshua chapter 22. So if you know the story of Joshua, I'm not going to read all of Joshua 22, but it's definitely worth reading. I'm going to summarize and we'll read parts of this. But essentially in the, in the land of Israel, uh, two and a half tribes were given a section. So if you know geography, you know, there's like, this is Israel, okay? So like, it's not a perfect drawing, but here we go, right? So Israel, and there's a river that kind of goes north and south. What's the river called? The Jordan River, right? So that's all you need to know. Just imagine there's, you know, Israel, there's a river called the Jordan River. You know, most of the tribes were over here on this side. I think I'm doing this right, to your perspective. (laughs) And then on this side, there was a little bit more land, and that was where the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they landed on the other side of the river. Okay? So they had this half on this side of the river, and then the other nine and a half other tribes met over here. Now, this is a big deal when you read the Torah. It's a big deal when you're reading Joshua because they conquered this land first. And you would think that there's a temptation for the tribes of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh to sort of say, well, we're done sort of doing the fighting. We've got our land. You guys go take your spot. We're going to hang out here. But, of course, what happens is that's not the right thing to do. They're all part of God's people. And so the soldiers go and they help take over the rest of the promised land. And only then, when everybody is at rest, do those soldiers go back to the other side beyond the Jordan so that they can have rest. 
Is this, is this making sense to you? You tracking with the story? But what happens here at Joshua 22, and we're tempted to just sort of like skip this story, but I think it's utterly profound for our day. Because what happens is when those uh, tribes, Reuben and Gad and half-tribe Manasseh, when those tribes start moving back, they do something by the river. And there becomes trouble down by the river, as one of my old preaching professors has said. There begins a problem. Because those tribes, those two and a half tribes, on their way, right before they cross to their homeland on the other side of this river, they build something. Look at verse 10. This is Joshua 22, verse 10. And they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. Now, what you need to know is the book of Deuteronomy has expressly forbidden building an altar or worshiping anywhere that is not in God's designated land and spot. Now, you, and this is Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 12. You can read, God is very clear. When you get in the promised land, I want my tabernacle, I want like, the sacrifices to be in this one spot. So as these two and a half tribes go back, they do what? They build their own altar, and they make it really, really big. And what, what's going on? Well, look at verse 11. Well, the people of Israel, those nine and a half other tribes, they hear about it. And say, behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to us, the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war with them. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. They sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Haven't we had enough of the sin at Peor? Haven't we had enough of all the mess that we made in the wilderness? From which we have not yet even cleansed ourselves and from which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must now turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you rebel against the Lord, then tomorrow he will be angry with us all, the whole congregation of Israel. Are you feeling the tension within God's people? God's people are divided. Two and a half tribes on their way home built an altar. It's really big. And then nine and a half other tribes hear about it and they run down and they are sharpening their swords. They get ready to make war. And they send a delegation, Phineas and some of the elders. And they ask them what? Are you a friend right now or are you a foe? God's word said not to do that. What are you doing? Feeling the tension in the people of God? What's the answer? Well, look, verse at, look down at verse 21. So what, what do these two and a half tribes say to this? Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God, Yahweh, El Elohim, Yahweh, 
the mighty one, God, Yahweh, the Lord. He knows. He knows what we're doing. And let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, don't spare us for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, may the Lord himself take vengeance on us. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us build an altar, not, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. You hear what the two and a half tribes say? What's their answer? They say, if we are building an altar for sacrifice, which the Lord has expressly forbidden, you are right in punishing us. May it happen. But we didn't build this altar for sacrifice. We're not going to let anybody make sacrifice on it. You know why we built it? We built it so that you would always remember that we also are God's people that we are also people of the promise. And so that when we are gone and you are gone, our kids will know that they are people of the promise and your kids will know that as well. So we aren't going to let anybody make offerings on it. It's an altar, but it's for witness. Well, how did the nine and a half other tribes respond? Look at verse 30. When Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because we have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. And so they put their swords up. And they don't fight, because they accept their response. Uh, friends, to me, this, this story if you hear what it has to say, is it's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to know friend from foe. And what happens is these nine and a half tribes, they hear that some other believers are doing something wrong. But if you read the book of Joshua, whenever something bad happens, what are the people always supposed to do at the very beginning? What's the first thing they're supposed to do? You know, this is Joshua chapter 9. They make a covenant with this people, the Gibeonites, and they are faulted because they don't do what first? They don't consult the Lord. They hear something that other Christians are doing. They make assumptions as to why they are doing it. And they get their swords ready to take them out. What these nine and a half tribes should have done is what? Should have consulted the Lord. And said, Lord, what is going on with your people? Why are they doing this? But instead they run to the warfare. Because when you live in a world that's very divided, you're not really looking for nuance or grace. You're looking to figure out who's my friend and who's my foe so I can take them out if I need to. 
But what happens, of course, is they go down. They rightly send a delegation. They say, can you please explain why you are breaking God's commandments? And they say, actually, we're not breaking God's commandments. We're not going to make it for sacrifice. Our deepest concern is that you will not accept us if we have any bit of difference in the land and the allotment. And so the people accept that, and there's peace. So what I would suggest to you as we try to figure out who our friend is and who our foe is, are you pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, pro-mask, anti-mask? How did you vote? Which way do you lean? The issues are too many to number. What happens in Joshua? What is the answer? Well, what I would suggest to you is the defining feature that God's people do is they go to God's word. The people of Reuben and Gad do not say, well, come on. This is, I mean, God's word, they want us to travel all that way to make sacrifices. Come on, God, God's not that uptight. Come on, cut us some slack. That's not what they say. They uphold the inerrancy and the power of God's word. And they say, you're right. If we were to do this for sacrifice, God is right to take us out. God's word is upheld. And the other nine and a half tribes, they should have consulted before they made their assumptions. But they were wise in sending a delegation saying, what were you doing? Why were you doing this? And God delivered his people that day. And they say, surely we know now God is in our midst. Um, you know, the New Testament describes a church where it's very hard sometimes for people to know who their friend is from their foe. You know, you can read the book of Galatians. You know, people are arguing about whether they need to be circumcised or not. The, the book of Romans talks about this. Uh, Paul says that some people regard all days the same. Some people regard certain days better than the others. Some people were following the Lord and they thought they should only eat vegetables. Some people ate all kind of food. And you know what Romans 14 says about some of these things? Well, Romans 14 has some of the most helpful words. And Paul says these words. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Why then do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Friends, the Bible is clear. God determines what is right and what is wrong. What the Bible says is sin is sin. What it says is righteousness is righteousness. That's not the debate. We are not free to redefine what God's word says. But we must be careful not to bite and devour one another, lest we be consumed by one another. Uh, friends, that's an invitation to determine friend from foe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Joshua. Lord, we pray for wisdom for ourselves. Lord, that we would stand on the truth of your word. Lord, that we would show grace to one another. Lord, we would distinguish rightly friend from foe. 
Lord, that we would bow the knee to King Jesus and him alone. Father, give us grace for this day and for the days to come. Father, would you empower us for the days and give us perseverance, encouragement, and hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.